0: Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 14, we read, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him The chapter began with the prediction of Christ's death in verses one and two. The plotting of his death by the religious leaders in verses three through five. And then we read about Mary's extravagant act of love and worship as she anoints the body of Jesus with a rare and fragrant oil in anticipation and preparation of his death in verses six through 13 we're introduced to the plot of Judas to betray Jesus. Again, it comes on the heels of the religious leader's desire to trap Jesus and then in the context of Mary's act of worship and love and I can't help but think that her faith and her love and her worship and her devotion prompts Judas to anger and that is Anger is going to ignite greed. And that greed is going to prompt betrayal. In John's gospel, we read in chapter 12, um, verses 4 through 6, but one of his disciples, Judas, Ishkariot, means Ish is the man, and Kariot means. The town, so this is a differentiation between the other Judas. Judas, the man from Kerioth, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. The plot begins with Judas going to the religious leaders in verse 14. It continues with a proposal at the beginning of verse 15. And a price at the end of verse 15. The wheels are set in motion to betray the Savior. And if you've ever, ever in your life wondered how God feels about betrayal. Or what he thinks about betrayal. If you've ever been the object of betrayal. Or the victim of betrayal. If in the night you've ever wondered. I wonder how God feels about it. You're going to be given a little bit of an insight. Because of what the Holy Spirit has done. In preparing the disciples for this betrayal. You see, the Holy Spirit revealed this betrayal centuries earlier in the writings of the Psalms in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 as well. The revelation of Jesus is going to result in love and worship and acceptance by some, but it's going to also result in rejection by others. So we see the roots of betrayal. Look at what it says in verse 14. Then one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. The enemies, remember, of Jesus are watching his every move. Again, in John's gospel, we read in chapter 11, verse 57, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. The word had been out on the streets. If you know where he is and you know who he is, we expect you to turn him over to us the commandment given by the chief priests and the Pharisees is going to provide at least some comfort and allusion to the betrayer. Because Judas can pretend just for a moment that he's a patriot rather than a betrayer. Judas joins forces with the enemies of Jesus They're going to become partners in what John Phillips calls the crime of the ages. And there's a note, one of the twelve. There's a reason why Matthew writes that down. And you shouldn't overlook it. Remember, Judas is one who lived with Jesus. He was called by Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He witnessed the miracles of Jesus. He listened to the teachings of Jesus. Everything that we've already looked at from Matthew chapter 5 and 6 in the Sermon of the Mount. Judas heard with his very own ears. He was an eyewitness to his sinless life. Judas was called by Jesus and trained by Jesus in Mark chapter Six verse 7, where it says, And he called the twelve to himself. And he began to send them out two by two. He gave them power over unclean spirits. This should cause you to pause right now and begin to understand just how strong the word betrayal really is. You can only be betrayed by someone you love. You can only be betrayed by someone that you care about. You can only be betrayed by someone that you've come to trust. It isn't really betrayal if they always hated you, if they never liked you. Do you realize this is why a dog can never betray you? I've never heard of a dog who said, I think I'm going to Betray my master. I'm gonna generate love and affection, and then I'm gonna turn on him. Betrayal requires trust, and betrayal's root is betray. You know that word. It comes from an e, Middle English word, betrayen. In the Middle English, it meant to mislead. To deceive. And so betrayal has to do with not just injuring, but destroying trust, possibly by lying. So again, Judas is called by Christ himself. And Christ himself warns Judas of sin's consequences. Again, it should cause you to pause for just a moment. You should step back from the text just for a moment and ask yourself, how is this even possible? How is it possible that someone with so much potential, so much opportunity, so much gifting, how is it possible with that kind of circumstance to generate such a great tragedy? Judas is going to turn his back on the Lord. Judas is going to turn Jesus over to the religious leaders instead of repenting of his sin, instead of trusting. And it should cause each and every one of us to remember that when it comes time for trust, we can either honor the trust or dishonor the trust. When it comes to loving and worshiping and honoring Jesus, we can do it or we can turn our backs on him. Why would Judas place his fate in the hands of the religious leaders instead of Jesus? Because make no mistake about it. When betrayal takes place, you're putting your hands, your future, your affections, your predispositions somewhere. Why would Judas do this? Why would Judas allow his craving for more and more to blind him? to the true identity of Jesus, to the mission of Jesus, to the ministry of Jesus, did Judas really understand who Jesus was and what his actions would cost him? Remember, Judas is called by Jesus, trained by Jesus, but he doesn't allow his heart to be ruled by Jesus. And it's possible that people can go to church It's possible that people can participate in religious activities. They can participate in religion, but for whatever reason, they won't allow the rule of Jesus to take place in their heart. It's interesting to me, in the end, it's not ability that counts, it's availability. Gifts don't ensure permanent success. Let's just for a moment concede that Judas is called and gifted, but Christ alone assures permanent success. Judas walked with Jesus and his peers, but walking with Jesus and the apostles Also, don't assure salvation. Hanging out with people who are saved, participating in activities with people who are saved, doesn't assure salvation. The only thing that assures salvation is repenting of sin and believing the gospel and putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times will it take? And how many times will you have to hear the gospel? Before you put your confidence in Christ, again, imagine walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus. Imagine being able to personally play the narrative by being there. Do you know someone who's heard all about Jesus, who's heard all about the truth? who's been told over and over again from the time they were little children in their bed as mom and dad shared the truth about Jesus and and participated in their life and participated in their love. and, And over and over again, they heard the truth, but they never trusted him. Or worse, pretend to trust him. Pretend to know him. Pretend to love him, but then betray him with a lifestyle of rebellion and disobedience. And so we go from the roots of betrayal to the rewards of betrayal. Look what it says in verse 15 and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver in verse 15, it begins with a devilish proposition. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Over and over again, one of the most commonly asked questions by people in all of the New Testament is, why did Judas betray Jesus? And there's a lot of answers that could be given. We could cite anger. Remember, he's already angry over the fact that Mary has anointed his body. He's already expressed indignation and anger of what he thinks could be a better use of ministry resources. But I'm going to suggest to you that anger and indignation can't be the exclusive answer of what's going on inside of his heart. Because there seems to be anger, but now on top of anger is greed. But is greed the complete answer? Maybe not. This sentence supports the fact that Judas isn't going to betray Jesus for free, which is interesting to me. We can't help but contrast his greed And the selflessness of Mary in the passage that we've just studied. The ointment, remember, the fragrant oil that Mary used to anoint the body of Jesus. Do you remember what it was valued at? Some 300 denarii. Remember, a denarius was a a day's wage for a skilled labor. With a denarius, you could buy a loaf of bread, you could buy two cups of wine, you could buy a place to stay. 30 pieces of silver. We know that this particular piece of silver is a shekel of tire. A shekel was worth not one, not two, but four denarii. A shekel was usually the amount of money that you would pay a skilled laborer for a week's worth of work. You can do the math. Four times 30 equals 120. Interesting. Mary values Jesus highly. Judas doesn't value Jesus very much at all. And so we see the contrast. What will you give me? If I deliver him to you. I want you to think about that for just a moment. What was he thinking? Is it the obvious statement? What will you give me? What was he hoping for? Do you think he was hoping for way more than 30 pieces of silver? What exactly was it that he was looking for? Did he all of a sudden forget Everything that he heard Jesus say in the weeks and the months and the years before this incident, did he forget the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 verse 5 where Jesus said, I need you to take care. I need you to be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions did Judas all of a sudden just forget that that was ever said we live in a world that doesn't carefully distinguish between what we want and what we need paul martin wrote quote greed has three facets love of things love of fame love of pleasure And these can be attacked directly with frugality, anonymity, moderation, unquote. What will you give me? What do you think the religious leaders were thinking and feeling? I suspect that the religious leaders looked at Judas and thought, what will you take? What will you take? What is it that will convince you to hurt the one that you love, to betray the one that you love, to give up on the person that you seemed to care so much about? The expression in the text is interesting. And they counted out to him, or weighed out to him, or covenanted with him. The Greek word is hestimi, which literally means to place on the scales. It means to weigh in the balance. When Judas asked the question, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? Someone among the religious leaders must have thought, we'll give you the price Of a slave. You see, silver was the medal of redemption. Every Jewish male was required every year to bring a half shekel of silver. The rich could give no more, the poor could give no less. This is a medal of redemption and reconciliation. But the sin of greed is a growing sin. The sin of greed doesn't just stop with, what will you give me? Because the moment you ask the question, what you will give me, you almost invariably, if you suffer from this condition, is you want just a little bit more. Why is it a growing sin? Because it has to be fed to grow. We have this need to accumulate. We have this need to hoard. We have this need to own things. And I'm as guilty a person as that you might know. I have boxes and boxes of stuff, and and my wife, every once in a while, she'll make me watch an episode of Hoarders. (laughs) And she'll go, are you getting the message? Are you beginning to understand? We own things, but often these things wind up owning us. We understand that anger coupled with greed, can cause us to betray our country or to sell our body or to sell friendship or give up on someone. Covetousness is like a cancer that consumes. And some people follow Jesus. I'm going to suggest to you, they begin by following out of a deep conviction and belief. But even in the midst of that conviction and belief, it moves in a different direction. Because if you're wondering what it will take for you to participate in anger or greed or betrayal, all you have to do is substitute love and worship inside of your heart. Part for something else. I believe that Jesus genuinely, in good faith, called Judas because he saw in him something. But Judas's strength is going to become his weakness, and it's a danger that each and every one of us face. On Wednesdays, I'm going through the book of Ephesians, and we just talked about spiritual gifts. And if spiritual gifts have anything to do with the believer, we know that the spiritual gift is always given by God, and each and every believer has one. We have gifts of administration, but then we can become overbearing. We have gifts of speaking. But then we can begin to entertain and love celebrity. We have gifts of leadership and we can become self-seeking. We have gifts of loveliness that can become sensual. We have gifts of humility that will sometimes lead to a false humility where no one is willing to serve at all. Judas is entrusted with the common purse. I've said repeatedly, you don't let the person in charge of the finances be the person that you trust the least he must have had a gift and a predisposition towards things financial we know that matthew who wrote our gospel was a tax collector he was no stranger to finance we know that the other apostles actually engaged in business and and they were business people and these were apostles who would have been Somewhat familiar with the fishing industry. But Judas is placed in charge of the finances and the purchases. In John chapter 12 verse 6. John 13, 29. Luke 8, 2 and 3. So Judas makes a proposal. And the religious leaders must have pondered their man. How much do you need? How much do you want? What's the going price to sell your friend, to sell your soul? What's the going price to opt out of your marriage? What's the going price to opt out of your family? What's the going price to opt out of your church? What's the going price? Why did Judas betray Jesus? We know that anger played a part. We know that greed played a part, but we also know that prophecy played a part. How do we know that? Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, If it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Again, these are shekels of the sanctuary. This is the money brought by worshipers to the temple to purchase animals for sacrifice. This is the currency of redemption and sacrifice. This is the amount that you would pay in the Old Testament if an ox gored someone's servant in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. This is the going, going market price of a slave. And the fulfillment of the prophecy further anticipates that Judas is going to return the blood money. The Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. It's talked about the friendship in Psalm 41 verse 9. As David writes, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted his heel against me, unquote. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Anger? Greed? Prophecy? Some have suggested that Judas, because it was foreordained, because it was prophesied, That somehow he must, of necessity, fulfill the prophecy that he had no choice but to fulfill his prophetic role. But that can't be right. And that can't be the whole answer. In John's gospel, we read in chapter 6, verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and would betray him. The fact that Jesus knew in advance that Judas would betray him. The fact that the Holy Spirit revealed it centuries before doesn't exonerate him. Doesn't let him off the hook. Doesn't mean that he isn't accountable for his behavior. Judas wasn't a pawn or a puppet in some cosmic play that could have gone a different way. Jesus is going to hold Judas personally accountable for his actions. Judas may have deceived himself into thinking that Jesus was unaware of his spiritual condition. Judas may have been successful in convincing his peers that he was just like them. It would appear that Judas followed Jesus out of greed and worldly ambition. And now all of a sudden the stark contrast becomes vividly clear in the text. Mary loves him and worships him. Judas is angry greedy and disillusioned this is evidenced by at least two things number one judas believed wealth and power and position would be his in christ's future kingdom and we should pause for a moment and say well weren't the other apostles didn't they believe exactly the same thing Yes and no. In what sense did they believe that following Jesus, being with Jesus, walking with Jesus is going to bring them position and honor? I think that the answer is yes. The difference between Judas and the others is that the others believe that Jesus is in fact the son of God, that he is God's Messiah. They don't understand the mechanism of redemption and salvation just yet. But they know something. They know that there's something different about Jesus. And number two, Judas becomes disillusioned when Jesus doesn't set up the kingdom on Judas's terms. Judas becomes convinced that Jesus isn't the real Messiah. That Jesus is just another in a long line of deluded pretenders. The bottom line, Judas isn't going to get from Jesus what he wants. And therein lies yet another source of emptiness, of darkness, of bitterness, of anger, of betrayal. In the deluded minds of people who betray, they always think This person isn't going to give me what I want. And that's the foundation of a person who will walk away from Jesus and turn from Jesus. He wasn't going to get what he wanted from Jesus. Judas fills his heart, not with love and worship, but with greed an ambition. Judas went too long failing to repent of his sin, failing to believe. Judas is doing more than making the best of a bad situation. And therein lies the problem because so many people want to exonerate Judas and let him off the hook. Judas made a choice. Well, what about Him being possessed by Satan. It does say in John 13, 27, that Satan will confirm his choice at least until the moment where it says Satan entered into him. But can we just simply blame the devil? I don't think so. Did Judas play a role in the betrayal of Jesus? The answer is yes. Does Satan play a role in the betrayal of Jesus? The answer is yes. And you know what both will have in common? They're both going to be held accountable for the role that they played. Again, some have suggested that Judas was a kind of fanatical believer who conspires with Jesus In his death to fulfill prophecy. Some people have imagined, oh, Jesus was aware of the prophecy in Zechariah and the statements made in the book and in the Psalms, and that, that Jesus actually asks Judas to participate in this wickedness. But make no mistake about it, that's a lie. Jesus will never ask you to participate in wickedness in order for his dreams to come true. And so for the voice that tells you, you have to do this. If it's wicked and wrong, you don't have to do it. The facts in our text say otherwise. Judas asked the religious leaders for money. That doesn't seem... To indicate a singular motivation. He will betray Jesus. He doesn't have pure motives. He doesn't have a love for the Savior. The gospel writers use terms like thief and betrayer to describe him. It's far more likely that Judas is motivated again by anger. By greed. By power. By prominence. A kingdom in the here and now. Jesus keeps talking about his death. Judas never calls Jesus Lord. The text seems to indicate that for whatever reason, he never crosses that line of salvation. You see, the wicked want to find excuse for that which is inexcusable. He's a thief. It might be possible to argue that Judas really believed that Jesus was God's Messiah at some point. Does he have faith? The answer is yes. But it's not saving faith. You see, people will say, I have faith but it's an incomplete faith because in order for saving faith to be saving faith, it isn't just simply acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord. James will clear that matter up in in a hurry when he says, remember, you believe in God, you do well. The devil believes and trembles. Does the fact that Satan believe in God and does the fact that demons believe in God somehow exonerate them and put them on the path to redemption? Well, I have a family member. I have a friend. He or she believes in God. Good for you. Acknowledging the existence of God is not the same as trusting him with your life. John Phillips writes, quote, This was the Sanhedrin's contemptuous evaluation of the worth of one who healed their sick, their blind, their lame, their demon-possessed, who raised their dead and fed the multitudes. Judas must have considered it a poor enough reward for his crime. Now he was their tool. They had bought him as well as the Lord. There's plenty of blame to go around. Judas thought that he would get way more. The betrayer always does. The betrayer always thinks that they should get way more. But I want to note something in the text that you might have overlooked. Judas doesn't dictate the price. The religious leaders do. People think that they're going to get much more by trusting themselves, by trusting this world, by trusting its provision. People always think that they're going to get way more if they just simply put their confidence in something other than Jesus. But it never works out that way. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so we see the results of the betrayal. Look what it says in verse 16. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. In the passage, there's a hint that the religious leaders in Judas aren't simply co-conspirators. The religious leaders, even at this point, still hold Judas at arm's length is this something else is it possible that judas is not jesus's betrayer is it is it possible that he still has a love and a loyalty for jesus is it possible that he still might flip back to the opposite side and you see this is the worst of all worlds for the christians what my friend Greg Laurie calls a mugwump. Remember, I've told you what a mugwump is. A mugwump is a person whose mug is in the kingdom and their wump is in the world. (laughs) They're constantly facing Christ and Christianity, but they're always living with just one part of them on the other side, and you know what happens? The devil doesn't completely trust you and God can't completely use you. That's the worst of all worlds. Judas is going to seek opportunity. Judas isn't privy to all of the religious leaders' private plotting. Remember, the religious leaders have already said, not during the feast, but now all bets are off. Judas is going to keep his eyes open. Judas is going to look for the most favorable opportunity to hand Jesus over in order to satisfy the religious leaders' ambitions. Remember, the religious leaders wanted to avoid the crowds. They wanted to avoid the possibility of a riot. So when is going to be the best time? Does Judas at this point know the location of the Passover meal? I'm going to suggest to you he doesn't. Judas knows that Jesus and the others are going to return to the Mount of Olives during the Seder or the Passover celebration. But with this unexpected offer, with this unexpected betrayal, the timetable for the death of Jesus is going to be moved up Warren Wiersbe writes, Judas is a warning against resisting the word of God and rejecting Christ. What's interesting to me is how many people want to avoid the warning and continue to resist the word of God. For so many people who still think that anger can be a part of their life, that greed can be a part of their life that disillusionment with Jesus and with grace can somehow be satisfied somewhere else. So what is the answer to the question? Why did Judas betray Jesus? We know that anger played a role. We know that greed played a role. We know that disillusionment played a role. But we also know that Judas found Jesus lacking. That Judas may have started off with Jesus because Jesus did seem to be the best hope for freedom from Rome. If Jesus could overthrow Rome, then maybe Judas might be able to participate in some major way in the new world order. But all of this talk of arrest, all of this talk of imprisonment, this waste of ministry money, none of it seemed to make sense to Judas. Or maybe it made perfect sense. It would justify his reasons, his twisted logic, his confusion and deception. Do you dare ask the most important question? When are we most likely to betray the ones we love? When is that likely to happen? When we become clouded in our judgment. When we're motivated by anger or greed or covetousness. When we allow deceit to inform our thinking rather than Christ. When we resist the word of God. When we reject Christ. When we fill our hearts with something other than love for him and worship of him. I want you to imagine a different scenario. Can you imagine if Judas had said to Jesus instead of the religious leaders, what will you give me? If I turn from my sin, repent of my anger and my greed, my covetousness, what will you give me if I decide that I don't want deceit to no longer be a part of my life? What do you suppose Jesus would have given him? Forgiveness? Absolution? I'm going to suggest that that's exactly what would have happened. He would have said, fear the Lord, trust the Lord, your reward won't be lost. Remember the words echoing in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, You may not be participating in some reward right now, but great is your reward in... But what about the person who says, I want my reward now. I want my satisfaction now. I want something now. And what's interesting and evil... Judas doesn't want to simply betray Jesus. He wants to destroy Jesus. You see, a lot of people reject Christ, but they they don't seek personal harm against him or to destroy him. A lot of people who participate in betrayal, in their mind, they're not thinking, I want to make sure that this person is dead. I want to make sure that this person is destroyed. Some will curse Christ consciously or unconsciously. They'll talk and and teach against his divine nature that he's the son of God. They'll talk and, and teach against the written revelation found in the Bible. They'll reject the revelation of God. They'll reject God's word. They'll reject what Jesus has to say about himself. And all the while, they're trying to destroy your life. This is why it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. People who participate in the betrayal and the deception need help. Seeing past their blindness Judas is going to play a role in sending Jesus to the cross. Satan is going to play a role in sending Jesus to the cross. Neither Judas nor Satan is going to benefit from the cross. My sin will play a role in sending Jesus to the cross. And so will yours. The difference between Judas and Satan and me and you, they won't benefit from Christ's sacrifice but I can, and you can. We can benefit from Jesus' sacrifice, again, if we will trust him, if we will love him, instead of walking in our disobedience, in anger, in bitterness, in covetousness, in greed, we can say, Lord, what will you give me if I turn to you? And turn away from my sin. John writes about it. He says if you confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What will he give you? He'll give you life instead of death. He'll give you hope instead of guilt. He'll give you heaven instead of hell. By the way. Judas makes a bargain with hell. And Jesus will give Judas ample opportunity to back out of the deal. We're going to see that in the weeks ahead. The same is true for each and every one of us. If you've ever, ever, ever made a deal with the devil, now's the time to back out. Now's the time to say, Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn to my Savior. I want love and worship to replace the bitterness inside of my heart. I don't want to be ruled by anger and disillusionment. I don't want to live my life based on all of the mistakes that I've made and all of the betrayals that I've experienced. I want my life to be different. And I want my future to be different. We're going to have communion right now. And as we have communion, I just want to remind you again of what's happening Because in just a few chapters, in just a a few moments actually, Jesus is going to prepare for the Passover in verses 17 through 19, and then he is going to participate in that final Seder at the end of the chapter. Right now, we're going to get a little preview as we remember What most of us know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, Take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which will be broken for you. Do this and remember me. The Bible says again, he'll give thanks and praise. He'll take the cup and he'll give it to his disciples and he'll say, Take this and drink it, all of you. This is the cup of my blood. The blood of the new and the everlasting covenant, which will be shed for the forgiveness of sin. He'll be crushed. For you, He'll make the sacrifice. For you, He'll make it possible that your heart can be governed by something other than your disillusionment, something other than yourself, something other than the bitterness and the anger and the darkness. Remember, when you participate, you're showing forth His death. You're literally making statement of love and loyalty to Jesus acknowledging and accepting his sacrifice for you let's pray Heavenly Father Lord we pray that we wouldn't just simply take these elements as some sort of religious ritual reminding us of a religious event in the past But that Lord, you would remind us of the remarkable sacrifice that was made by Jesus, the loving sacrifice that's going to result in an opportunity for our sins to be forgiven, for our hearts to be cleansed, and for us to walk not in anger and bitterness, greed and covetousness, darkness and disappointment, disillusionment and despair hope real hope in Jesus name Amen let's partake together